Lord, as we look at this familiar story, may its familiarity be put aside, and may we hear from you through these lips of mine what you would have for each and every one of us. Meet our needs as you met hers. And Lord, may you set our hearts on fire with love for you because you are God, Lord Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. As I was growing up, my parents wisely, as, as the years went by, gave me increasing chores to do around the house. You know, so when I was eight years old, I thought our Hoover vacuum cleaner was so awesome, and my mom said, you can check out its awesomeness by using it. <laughs> you know? We only bought Hoovers, manufactured in Akron, Ohio, as I understand it. No longer. Canton. Canton. Thank you. Thank you. We were faithful to Hoover in the Sherman home. And uh, so I, I was quite good at it. I am to this day. I enjoy vacuuming. It's weird, but I do. Um, and other chores as I was growing up. Now, when I got my own dog, my coonhound, Major, he's my dog, I had to feed him. And I discovered real quickly how inconvenient it was at times to feed the dog, you know, because you might be on the phone with this particular girl of interest, and you hear, Gene, feed the dog. Or I might be watching, you know, a very useful episode of I Love Lucy, <laughs> or McHale's Navy, or, you know, the Dick Van Dyke Show, whatever. Gene, feed the dog, for crying out loud. Or, you know, I might be in a wrestling match with my older brother, you know, and he wouldn't necessarily let me up. <laughs> Gene, feed the dog. I can't. Whatever it might be, that phrase became a mantra. I mean, you know, my brother would say at 11.30 in the morning, feed the dog, ha <laughs> ha, you know, became a joke in my family because it was always seen to be inconvenient time, even though it was the same time every day to feed major from me. Well, today's passage teaches us not just about feeding dogs. It's really more about how we do Christian life and service here on the West Shore community as it was for his followers. So I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 15. And as you're turning, you might wonder, well, wait, Gene, why, don't we, why are we skipping over from Jesus walking on water last week, all this passage, to the middle of chapter 15? Why are we doing that? Well, that's because the lectionary uses Matthew, Mark, and Luke on a rotating basis. And the synoptic gospels, as they're called, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, have overlapping stories. So this section of what defiles a person that Jesus mentions in Matthew... We'll get to it next year, you know? And so, it, lectionary preaching overlaps. It still covers 90% of the Gospels. That can be a strength, but it also can be a weakness. That's why we don't always do lectionary preaching. But I just wanted you to know that, because if we do do lectionary preaching, in a couple years, we're going to do lectionary preaching of the Gospel of Luke all year long. It'll be fascinating to see how wonderful it ties in with the themes of the church calendar. But I wanted you to be aware of that's why it is the way it is. We're going to get to that section next year. But in today's passage, Jesus is teaching some important truths for Christian service and Christian ministry. 
And the first thing that he teaches is what's the target of Christian service? Secondly, what are the circumstances of Christian service? Three, what's the heart of Christian service? And fourth, what's the mechanics of Christian service? The target, the circumstances, the heart, and the mechanics of Christian service. Charity, ministry, because as a follower of Christ, wherever you go is potential service and ministry. So let's look at this, shall we? First, is let's look at the, the target of Christian ministry. What's happening here, Jesus is taking his followers on a short-term mission trip. It's a 35-mile walk from Gennesaret up to Tyre and Sidon. There's 25 miles between Tyre and Sidon. So how many miles is it to downtown Cleveland? You know, 13 miles. All right. Just imagine going twice that far, walking. All right. And that's where Jesus took his followers. And you might wonder, why are they going there? Well, let's look at this. Verse 22, 21 and 22. Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out. It's interesting that Matthew uses the term Canaanite, where Mark uses what would have been used for this woman because she was from that area of Gentiles known as the Syrophoenician area. All right? That's what they would have been called in that era. But Matthew is conjuring up something, especially for the Jewish readers. He says, a Canaanite woman. For all of you Old Testament students out there, what does that conjure up in your memory? The enemies of Israel. All right? You know, among the Canaanites are among Israel's greatest enemies as they came back from Egypt. Obviously, the Egyptians are the enemies. And later on, the Assyrians and the Babylonians, as well as the Philistines, the Moabites, the Edomites, and all the other termites that they have to deal with. <laughs> Matthew is very specific in mentioning this because he wants us to know this is a mission trip. And it's important for us to know the target of our ministry is anybody who crosses our path. Anyone who would call themselves a Christian since others around us are created in the image of God. They are image bearers and therefore worthy of respect and honor and Helping them, meeting their needs, and sharing the good news as God gives us opportunity. We saw this in today's passage in Isaiah. This is not a new idea in Jesus' age. God hasn't changed. He said to the sojourner, the foreigner, that in the eunuchs that are there, the eunuch who thinks his life is worthless because he can't leave a legacy, the foreigner who really isn't part of Israel but yet has joined themselves to Israel, they will have in his house, within his walls, a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. It's important that we remember that as we reach out across cultures, across races. And given the events of last weekend in Charlottesville, you need to hear from me and my lips and from the leadership of Christ Church that we, coming from an Anglo background, thoroughly condemn the white nationalist movement, the white supremacists, the neo-Nazis. Let's call it for what it is. It's a sin. Racism is a sin. In Acts chapter 17, in the midst of an evangelistic lecture to a secular pagan philosopher culture, Paul makes the case that God created all the races from one man. 
And his Greek listeners, they thought they were superior. They thought, you know, ever since Alexander the Great, you know, Greek culture, you know, it still is that way, you know. The Greeks, you know, that's what was so funny about my big fat Greek wedding, you know. Everything comes from Greek, you know. But against such views of racial superiority, Paul is making the case in Acts that that's not the case. That all are from one stock. And since all are made in God's image, every human is of infinite and equal value. When Jonah puts the national interests of Israel ahead of the spiritual good of racially other pagan city of Nineveh folks, he's roundly condemned by God. You see, one of the main effects is when you truly meet Jesus Christ, is to shatter the racial barriers that separate people. And therefore, as Tim Keller stated in his statement this week of, of the Gospel Coalition, it is an egregious sin to do anything that would support such barriers. When Peter sought to do so, Paul reprimanded him for losing his grasp on the Gospel in the book of Galatians. So if Jesus is willing to go 35 miles to Gentileville, so should we. Not only in our commute downtown or across to the east side or wherever we're found, friends, but right across the street. You know, how many of you watch Breaking Bad? DT's the only one who's watched Breaking Bad? Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. You should have watched Breaking Bad. There was a meth lab right in the street behind me in Avon Lake, just like Walter White last fall. Did you know that? You see, the suburbs, we hide our problems. That guy had been running it for years. Years. My friends, it isn't all as it seems. There are people who don't live like us and don't act like us, and they're right next door to us. All right? And it's important that we reach out to them. I got a dog. So Kimmy and I, when we go on a walk, we walk through that neighborhood. Now, people aren't out and about the way they used to be, but they are. And I'm praying for these houses as we go about our walks that God would give me opportunities. Some of you have done that. If you have a dog, it's easy to do, you know. Jerry does it, you know. You just pray and ask the Lord to open up opportunities because, you know, right behind me are these homes that were built in 1930. Most of the workers there worked at the electric plant, you know. They, weren't, they were blue-collar, less educated, but you know what? They are God's image bearers, and they need the Lord. You know, just because you have more education doesn't make you superior. And so... I know no one's saying that, but the point is the posture, the posture that we have is what our Lord has going out to anywhere, meaning anybody that God would bring across our path. Secondly, we see the circumstances of Christian service. We see the need that's at hand here with this woman is second half of verse 23. And she was crying, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. Uh, as we look at her circumstances, we first need to note that she is crying. The Greek word is krodzo. This is an obnoxious, Lord, help me, type of yell. 
The Greek is, it's the cry of a raven. You ever heard a raven's caw? You know, they're kind of obnoxious birds. Nobody wants them around, really. You know? But the reality is, she comes with her need. Her need is her demon-possessed daughter to be healed. And what we need to notice is that such afflictions, no matter what they are, can lead to blessing in these circumstances. Certainly, this caring mother had attempted to see her daughter healed of this demonic possession, but now she brought her to Jesus because she heard that he could. And so, no matter the need, be it physical, material, spiritual, we must be open in our own lives as well as others to see no matter what trial we're going through, it could be at the end be a blessing. And we would well remember that when we're going through trials, every cross that we bear will do us good in the end. Trials make us think about the reality of God, to take our minds off of the fleeting concerns of the world. When you get sick, you realize that there isn't a lot of things that we think are in our healthy state, you find out maybe aren't that important. It drives us to the Word of God. It drives us to our needs, and it makes us more dependent upon the Lord. Bishop Ryle says it this way, Health is a good thing, but sickness is far better if it leads us to God. Prosperity is a great mercy, but adversity is a greater one if it brings us to Christ. So therefore, friends, whatever needs are around us, we need to be in a posture as Jesus is to assist in any way we can to help. Third, you see the heart of ministry that Jesus has, not as the disciples. Verse 23, but he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, send her away, for she's crying out afterwards. Meaning, this obnoxious woman, get her out of here, Lord, this is embarrassing. And he answered her, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. First of all, it's, it's, it's important to understand when you're looking at Jesus' heart that his followers often has less compassion than he does. In our day, it's, it's a tendency because of our schedules, because of our, our cross-culture barriers that we have at times, uh, that we ignore the need that's there. Yet, Jesus is, doesn't say no, because he knows what he's about to do. He's trying to draw it out in her, her trust in him. And he's got a gentle and kind bent towards her. And it's important that we are gracious and not sending them away, meeting their needs. Because remember, this is Peter, James, and John, you know? The mighty ones are here. And yet, they want to send her away, but Jesus postures to stay there, and engage. And that's exactly what he does. David Brainerd was a student at Yale University in the early, early 18th century. He noticed that some of the faculty at Yale weren't quite Christians. I don't know if you knew it, but it was founded as a Christian college, you know. And so he noticed that some of the faculty weren't thoroughly orthodox, and he called them out, so they kicked him out. You weren't allowed to challenge the faculty back then, I guess. And so David Brainerd was crushed because he felt the call to be a pastor. 
And in Connecticut, you couldn't be a pastor of a local church unless you went to Yale. And so, he had a great love for the Native American population. So he went down to Delaware in New Jersey and just lived among them, got to know them, ministered to them, and literally because of his witness, revival broke out in Delaware and New Jersey over the Native American populations just because he had a posture toward the people that were around him. His life is a vivid, powerful testimony that despite being weak in the faith at times, discouraged in the faith at times, beaten down in the faith sometimes, lonely sometimes, struggling saints who cry out to the Lord day and night can be used mightily of God. He had a phrase, Lord, may I never loiter on my heavenly journey. Isn't that great? May I never loiter in my heavenly journey. He died at the age of 29. Mightily used of God with deep disappointments. Whatever disappointment you have endured in the kingdom, oh, God can use that. Just like he used David Brainerd. And it's important for us to remember by the way we live our lives with a posture looking out, not inward, so kickoff Sunday's a few weeks. You who are sitting on the end of the pews, move toward the middle, okay? So latecomers can sit. Let's make sure we have a posture in seeking out. And let's go out and live our lives openly for the king. Brennan Manning it was said, what the world cannot buy is a church that professes them with the lips and denies them by their lifestyle, that's what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. And finally, we see the mechanics of ministry. But she came and knelt before him. Now, this is after he said, I was only sent for the Jews. He's trying to draw something out in her. And look what she says. She comes back and says, very simply, Lord, help me. He doesn't stop there. He goes, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you have desired. And her daughter was healed instantly. <laughs> Isn't that beautiful? He came for the lost sheep of Israel. What does that mean? Well, his first call always was first to go to the Jews, but he didn't tell her no. He's trying to draw out in her, you know, her trust in Jesus alone. And so she wisely persevered three times. Lord, heal my daughter. Lord, help me. Lord, even the dogs get to eat the crumbs that fall from the table. She'd been called this before. You know, in the ancient world, dogs weren't pets. They were scavengers. You didn't let them in the house. You know, we treat our pets with great affection, and that's not a bad thing, you know. But I remember fondly Bishop Juwan sitting by my family room couch. And those of you who remember my 90-year-old Bassett, Sam, he had a habit of sitting on your feet. 
he just loved you. And so he came down and he would sit right on your feet. Boom. You know? And, and I could tell Bishop Juwan was a little uncomfortable. And I said, Bishop, shall I have him move? He goes, no. It's okay. He goes, but I don't understand why you have dogs in the house. <laughs> I said, Sam, get off of him. You know? <laughs> culture. It's just culture. You know? And so she'd been probably called a dog before. And it was a pejorative that Jews used. And, and Jesus is trying to draw out this perseverance. And when he calls her a woman, that is not what we think it is. It's more of a term like madam. You know, I was taught as a child to address older women, ma'am, yes, ma'am. My teachers, yes, sir, yes, ma'am. That's what we did. And that's what Jesus is doing here. And because she persevered, he answered. And this isn't a prescription to, to, that he will answer our prayers in the way we always pray them. It's, it's interesting how he often dawdles with his people. He delays for whatever reason, but yet with newer believers, unbelievers, he moves mightily in order as a means by which he can bring them to the reality of who he is. But perseverance in prayer is what always brings results. Jesus doesn't answer her, and she just kept on, kept on, kept on. She owned her status, but yet she persevered. And we should do the same. Long time First Baptist of Church of Dallas pastor, W.A. Criswell, had a, had a friend who traveled all over Texas as an evangelist of the Southern Baptist Convention. And, and, and Pastor Criswell told the story of his friend who was an avid bird hunter. So he bought these two setters, you know, bird dogs, top-notch bird dog setters, to train them to hunt, and he kept them out in the backyard. But his friend told the story that as, he was, as these dogs were raised, this, this mangy, scroungy bulldog who would come down the back alleyway of his home would crawl under the fence and fight his setters because this was his territory. And he didn't want any other dogs in his territory. So every morning at 9 o'clock, this bulldog would come down the alleyway. You could hear his chain. You know, he had dog tags of some kind. They could hear him coming. He was snorting and everything. would crawl under the fence, and he would fight these two setters. Now, the very first time this happened, he said, all right, he's going to learn his lesson. And the two setters just tore him apart, just beat him up, and he went away under there whining and screaming and under the, the fence and went home licking his wounds. He said, well, that's that. He won't be back. Next day, 9 o'clock in the morning, here he comes. He comes again. Under there, same result, happens again, you know? And they go, wow, stupid dog, you know? <laughs> he goes back underneath the next day. Would you believe it? He comes back at 9 o'clock. Same time, same place, same result, getting the tar beaten out of him. After he had all he could take, just crawl back under the fence and wobbled home. Well, the evangelist had to leave for a few weeks because that's what professional evangelists did back in that day. They would be gone for a few weeks. So he told his wife, I'll be back. Came back home three weeks later. 
Setters aren't anywhere to be seen. There's a bulldog walking around in his backyard. <laughs> he goes, what happened? She goes, you're not going to believe it. Every morning, he kept coming back, getting beat up, coming back, getting beat up, until the moment, every time the, our dogs heard his, his tags jingling, and his snorting, and he starts to crawl under, they just got sick and tired of it and whined to come in, and they're down in the basement, and he's walking around like he owns the house. <laughs> Perseverance. Keep praying. Keep praying for that loved one or person you want to see come to know Christ. Keep praying wherever you live and work and play. Be a blessing to them. Some of you all are just great in gifting other people. Keep it up. Just be a blessing to people. Be kind. Be humble. And ask God to give you an opportunity to. And you got a card, right? Everybody got a card. Invitation card. Don't you dare throw it away. All right? You know, we, uh, don't leave them for me. Take it and pray over it and just invite someone kick off Sunday. We'll talk about that in announcements. But the reality is, we're the only Bible they're going to see. Let's persevere and keep praying. And whatever it is that's heavy on your heart, you keep bringing it to the Lord because he delights to hear you. And it seems every now and then he's saying, uh, you know, I came for the lost sheep. You can say, I am one. Lord, feed me, and we can go feed. They're not dogs. They're beautiful creations of the Lord. Why? Because Jesus went to a place he really didn't want to go to. And he died a death that he really didn't want to. So that we can have life eternal and life abundant. You know, you hear me quote often Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. Well, don't forget verse 10. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of our work, so that no one can boast. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand for us to walk in. Let's walk in them. Feeding people along the way being a blessing along the way, all because of what our Lord's done for us. Because our name will be great in his kingdom. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this wonderful word and this wonderful story, which reminds us that there's no one beyond your reach. And that, Lord, we can minister to anybody that goes across our path no matter the very simple acts of kindness that we do, Lord, may you give us opportunities to love people well, to serve people well, and give us opportunity to share the good news and the difference that you've made in our lives. For we ask all of this in his name, Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Lord, and our God. Amen.